It is Wednesday, January 31st, 2018. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you once again by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn. I'm Jim Chesko, and I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Bill Furman. He is back, reconnecting with us as we speak. And it is our final show before Super Bowl 52. Who would have thought that we would be here? But, hey, bring on those New England Patriots. Why not? I mean, who would have thought this after December 10th when number 11 had the season-ending injury? But we are here, and we do have now Bill Furman back with us, I think. Bill, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I had a little technical difficulty there, but we're back. We're better than ever, Chet, and uh, we're ready to talk Super Bowl 52. Bring on those New England Patriots. And you know what? We have two great guests with us tonight. We had two great ones last week, too. A couple of lifelong Birds fans in Vince Papali, the former Eagle, and Mike Barnes. And, uh, yeah, as I said, we got a couple of good ones tonight, and you're going to introduce the first one right now. We are. We've got a busy show in front of us, so let's get it rolling and welcome back another one of our favorite columnists from the Bucks County Courier Times, Tom Moore. Welcome back, Tom, to Philly Press Box Radio. Glad to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. We do have a second guest tonight that Chet managed to scrounge up somewhere. It's Boston Herald columnist Bill Sparrows, better known as Obnoxious Boston Fan. Do you know this guy? I do not. I mean, I I know the Boston Herald, like Sixers writers, uh, Mark Murphy and Steve Bullpen. I know those guys, but I, I do not know. I mean, I've heard of him, but I do not know him. Good well, enough. I'd Good much enough. rather talk to you, but we're going to do what we have to do. <laughs> He's not really overly obnoxious, so don't, don't worry about it. They just win a lot up there. We should be obnoxious. so lucky. <laughs> anyway, Tom, I know I know that you're a reporter and columnist, and you've got to stay level-headed about things, but be honest, as a local guy, having the Eagles on the verge of maybe winning their first Super Bowl is pretty darn exciting, is it not? Yeah, it really is. It's, uh, I mean, I, I picked them to go 8-8 eight and eight this year, and I don't really know anybody who picked them better than 10-6, and six, and, you know, to be 13-3 and three and, and home field advantage throughout, despite all the injuries, you know, Peters and and Sproles and uh, Hicks, and then, of course, Wentz, as you said, December 10th. And here they are, you know, and the way they dominated, you know, the Vikings and their vaunted, you know, top-ranked defense in the NFC Championship game, it was, a, it was a huge surprise. I really thought it would be another tight game like the Falcons game. So, yeah, this is, you know, like one of those things that just, you know, you, who could have predicted it, really? I've listened to a lot of sports talk radio over the past week or so, Tom, probably too much. And the consensus among the guys who know the game the best is that the Eagles do match up very well against the Patriots. Is that your take also? Uh, I think they do match up pretty well. I think uh, especially, you know, on the line. I think the Eagles' defensive line, um, I think, matches up real well uh, with the Patriots' offensive line. And I think if you look back at the 2008 and the 2012 Super Bowls where the Giants – defeated the Patriots Uh, in both of those games. The Giants relied heavily on just a four-man rush, and they got a lot of pressure on uh, uh, Brady. They sacked him seven times combined in the two games, 
and that allows seven defenders to stay back in pass coverage. You can double cover Gronkowski and things like that. And I think, I think the Eagles could do that. Um, and I think on the offensive side, I think their line, you know, their line, I don't know, will dominate, but if their line wins at, at the scrimmage, um, you know, they can run the ball. And if the Patriots come up and put eight guys in the box, they can throw some play action. And if Foles, you know, Foles is, you know, there's a good Foles, and we saw a great Foles against the Vikings. But then um, the last two games of regular season, we saw the bad Foles, who, who just was off and throwing off his back foot, and not confident, not throwing the ball down the field. If he plays, you know, like he did against the Vikings and throw, you know, can throw some deep balls and stretch the field and keep the Patriots, you know, honest, I think it could be a very interesting game. Hey, Tom, as far as the players themselves, these guys are all pros. They've, many of them have been around a long time. As fans, you know, we fall into the Tom Brady mystique. You know, you can feel what's going to happen. Can the players feel that, or are they so wrapped up in the game that uh, he's just another guy out there, even though he's pretty darn good? Yeah, I, I think he's got a little bit of extra cachet. I mean, I, I look back, uh, starting with the two. Starting with the 2001 season, you know, the Patriots have been to eight Super Bowls and they've won five um, going into this year. No other team in those 17 years has been to more than three and won more than two. So, I mean, they are, you know, as close to a dynasty as there is, uh, you know, certainly in the modern day NFL. And, you know, if the Eagles are going to win, my suggestion is to be ahead by more than one score when the Patriots get the ball back in the final two minutes because we've seen that too many times um, where he, you know, picks his, picks apart the defense. You know, last week when Jacksonville was up 20 to 10 early in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, I was down at the Eagles game and you're, and you're still thinking Jacksonville's got to score again. That's not enough points. And Jacksonville mm-hmm. did not, you know, the Patriots scored two touchdowns and win 24 to 20. Peterson has to be aggressive, which he was very aggressive, you know, with his play calling against the Vikings. He's got to continue to do that. And especially if they get ahead, you can't go to any prevent offense and start being conservative and, you know, dink and dunk and screen passes and stuff like that. You have to be aggressive and keep attacking and keep put throwing the ball down the field because, uh, you know, you, you can't give uh, Brady any, any chances or too many chances, depending how you look at it. Yeah, I'm with you, Tom. Those are some of the keys for sure, staying aggressive and uh, you know, winning the line play. For me, another priority would have to be winning the turnover battle. Do you agree? Oh, definitely. Yeah, that was, I mean, it was 3 nothing. Uh, the Eagles uh, forced three turnovers against the, the Vikings and didn't turn it over at all. I agree that that's hugely important. You can't give Brady a short field. And by the same token, uh, you, you know, you got to cash in. And the red zone offense, the Eagles were number one when Wentz was there, not quite as good um, uh, under, under Foles. But they have to, uh, you know, they have to score when they get in the red zone and not just field goals. they got to get seven um, and really put some pressure on the, uh, you know, really put some pressure on New England. Hey, Tom, as you look at, at the whole body of work here this, this whole season, certainly a surprise, is there a moment that sticks out to you in the season where you thought, wow, this bunch is for real. they got a chance to make a long run here. Is, it, is there anything that really sticks out? We had one of our guests, we asked a similar question, and they said the Jake Elliott field goal, boy, that was like week two or three. It seemed a little early. Yeah, that was still right. That, that, that was still a little early. I'm trying to think. 
I mean, the Rams game, to some degree, because they were behind when Wentz got hurt, they came back to, to, you know, they rallied to win with the two field goals uh, that Foles led them to. But still, now all of a sudden you're like, oh, my goodness, Wentz is gone. That whole element of, of making plays with his feet. Now you have Foles, who really hasn't been a regular um, in this league for three years or so. Yeah, I don't know if there was one particular moment. It was more of a sort of a, to me, it was more of a gradual buildup that they're, six, you know, three and one and six and one and seven and one. And, and you know, you, you keep waiting. All right, well, they'll lose to the Panthers. And then they go down to Charlotte and win there. And then, you know, they lose to the Seahawks, and then you think, well, the Rams, that's going to be a tough one. Well, they win that one, and then they they defeated the uh, Giants the second time up there. And, you know, now they're coming home, and, you know, they've already clinched the division, and now there's only a question of are they going to be the top seed or the second seed or maybe the third seed. So um, there was no one, like, aha moment. It just kind of, to me, it just kind of built, and, you know, it was like a snowball effect of sorts. Yeah, and and you hit you hit mine on on the nail on the head that going down to Carolina, I believe that was a Sunday night or a Monday night game, and they went down Thursday. there and took care of business on the Thursday night game, took care of business on the road against a pretty good team. And uh, to me, I started thinking, you know what, this this team is pretty good. Now, I didn't know we'd be playing for the Super Bowl, but uh, I thought this team's a lot better than anybody's giving them credit for. Yeah, that was a that was a, a marquee win. You know the. The Panthers, you know, were, are, you know, a pretty highly regarded team expected to, you know, win 10 games or so and uh, to go down there and, and kind of beat them, you know, their own uh, in their own building, um, you know, is is uh, is pretty significant. But, you know, the Panthers, to me, they're also a little bit of a cautionary tale because, you know, when they go to the Super Bowl three years ago and everybody's thinking, wow, you know, this they have the makings of a dynasty, all these great young players and they haven't been back to the conference championship game. It's really difficult to do it. So when you get there, you have to take advantage. I always think of Dan Marino in 84, his second year. They made the Super Bowl, went 14-2, and two, reached the Super Bowl, and, and you know, lost to uh, Montana and the, uh, and the 49ers, I believe. And he played 15 more years, had 10 wins five more times, at least 10 wins, and never got it back there. So I think the message from, you know, and you, you, Selleck's first time there in 11 years. Donnie Jones, the punter, his first time there in 14 years. You know, I mean, it, it, it's not an easy thing to do. So when you're there, you really desperately want to win because there are no guarantees, you know, next year, next week, you know, next year, whatever. You mentioned Nick Foles a couple of minutes ago, Tom. It's going to be tough for him to replicate the game you had against the Vikings in the NFC Championship, of course. But how do you think he'll do against a a so-so Patriots defense, one that gives up a lot of yards, though not necessarily a lot of points? Yeah, you know, you're right, Chad. I don't think he, you know, to expect him to play like he did. I mean, a couple of those deep balls, you couldn't have dropped him in better if you were, you know, you were – you know, in a crane yep. above there, right above them, dropping them in. They were, they were, you know, it was like a textbook. It was just incredible. I wouldn't expect that much, but I'm also not expecting the guy who was, you know, had a 9.3 passer rating in the four series he played against uh, the Cowboys in the finale and was throwing off his back foot and just didn't look like he had any confidence or whatever. I, you know, I think the more time now that he's been the starter for what has it been seven or eight weeks. He's got a lot more reps with the, you know, those receivers and a much better feel for those guys. 
the thing was last week he had the, of the Vikings or, you know, whatever, what, 10 days ago, he had four completions of 35 yards or more, and they were to four different receivers, and they were all deep balls. It wasn't like the Atlanta game when the biggest gain was 32 yards to Ajayi, which was a screen pass, which Wisniewski took out two D backs, and, you know, it was more uh, on the legs of Ajayi than, than, uh, than the arm of Foles. So I think he'll play, uh, you know, obviously somewhere in the middle, but if it's it's got to be it's got to be closer to the Vikings game than it was, uh, let's say the Raiders game or the four series against the Cowboys. As I said, he's he's always been a sort of a high high and a low low kind of player, um, and that's sort of what you you know 2013 that that was the best I saw him play since you know since 2013 the Vikings game, you know when he had his 27 and two and was the MVP of the Pro Bowl. Um, he just he just looked so confident. And you know the flea flicker and, and just all that stuff was it was amazing. Now I don't I don't know that they're going to have that much success. As you said, the Patriots are, you know, they they, they kind of bend but don't break. They're, they're they're you can get down inside the twenty, but they're, then they're pretty good at, at limiting you to a field goal. They seem to crack down pretty well, and they really need to you know take advantage there and strike. Um, and they, if they can, you know, it's very simple sounding, but. You, yeah, you need to, you want to control the ball. If Foles and the offense are on the field, that means Brady is not. And it's very simple sounding, but, you know, the less he's on the field, the better it is for the Eagles. So if you can establish the run, make the Patriots have to come up, play eight guys in the box or whatever, be very aggressive, then you can go to play action. You're going to be in some single coverage, you know, maybe Jeffrey or Torrey Smith or Aguilar or even Ertz. You know, you can, you know, break one down the field. Hey, Tom, I heard something on the radio the other day that has intrigued me ever since I, I heard it. I want to run it by you and, and get your thoughts and Chet's thoughts to see if this is even something that's possible. But Jim Miller, who used to be the quarterback for the Chicago Bears back sometime, uh, has a show on NFL radio. I was driving somewhere and I was listening, and he was talking about the legendary Bill Belichick halftime adjustments, especially defensively, which he did against Jacksonville, shut them down. Again, um, and Miller's theory is that that Belichick plans has two separate defensive game plans, and his theory being that you stay close in the first half, and then you come out with a completely different look in the second half that no one has had a chance to prepare for, and throw something at at an offense that has to adjust on the fly. And thus they are shutting these teams down in the second half. He, and, and no matter what, no matter what the score, as long as he can be somewhat close, he's not going to show that hand in the first half. He's going to save it till halftime and then dominate the second half. I guess my first question to you is, do you think that's possible? And second of all, if he does that again, are we capable of adjusting on the fly in the second half come Sunday? Yeah, I don't know that it's that. I mean, it's, you know, Matt Patricia, the defensive coordinator, and Belichick and so on clearly make adjustments at halftime and, you know, are very, very good at 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 doing those things. Look at look at how they've dominated in the fourth quarters of the playoff games, you know, this year. Uh, that it's a completely new, new whole new approach and setup, I, I'm not sure that I, I've noticed it to that degree. But, you know, you look at the Eagles, too. I mean, Jim Schwartz, uh, the Eagles have not allowed a point in the second half either uh, in the two playoff games, um, they, both uh, against the Falcons or the, uh, the Vikings. 
So they're making, you know, the, you know, and really the ha- halftime is if it's close, which I'm ex- expecting it to be at least somewhat close at the half. It's whoever you know makes the adjust, makes the right adjustments, and then can can the other team kind of you know counter adjust? Um, it, it, it's like the chess game; it's the game within the game. And you know, Belichick with with all that experience and all the things he's been through. Now Schwartz has been a head coach. Schwartz has a lot more experience as a coordinator, you know, slash head coach, you know, than Doug Peterson does. But Schwartz runs the defense, and Peterson and Frank Reich run the offense. So I do expect you, you will definitely see some things in the second half you haven't seen in the first half, but I don't know about a completely new approach. And it would be interesting if, if Belichick and Patricia would come out and do something totally different in the second half to see how long or how well the Eagles could adjust to that. Tom, we're going to get a prediction for you in a couple of minutes before we let you go. But first I want to squeeze in a couple of Sixers questions. First one, what the heck is going on with Markel Fultz? We see videos of him dribbling around, shooting, making backwards, full-court shots. Will we ever actually see Fultz playing a game again this year? Yeah, you know, three weeks ago, Chad, I would have said for sure. And, and you know, I was watching the video from the pregame tonight with the Nets, and the free throw still looks strange. He's still kind of pushing mm. and shooting from, like, his chin and, um, I mean, he, when he when he attacks the basket, he he still looks as fast as ever, and, and and you know gets to the rim, which is what he did in those four games he played in October. But it's been more than three months since he's played again. Um, so at this point, I don't I mean I don't know. You're, you're you're more than halfway through the season. The All Star break's coming up. The the uh, trade deadline's February eighth. So I don't know. The more time that goes away, I, you know, there's no timetable for him to, him to play. So I. I really don't understand it. I mean, uh, Brian Colangelo said two months ago that the shoulder was sound. You know, it was back. To, everything was back, in, in, you know, in, uh, the way it was supposed to be. It was kind of out of, uh, you know, out of uh, kilter there. And he said that that was not the issue. But there's something going on, whether it's some sort of a, a phobia or whatever. He, you look at his shot when he was at Washington and you look now and it doesn't look anything like that at all. I, I don't. I really don't understand it. it. It's a head scratcher. Yep, there's something going on there for sure. And Tom, my 76ers prediction for this season, made back in October, was 43 wins and a fifth seed. How am I looking? Well, um, yeah, not too bad. The teams are all jumbled up. I think what did I? I said I was pretty close to that. I, I maybe I don't know if I said 40. I might have said 42, or I might have said 43. Actually, I thought more like a seventh seed, but it's really hard to tell now. Obviously, if you're the fifth seed, you're probably playing Washington or somebody like that. Whereas, if you're six, seven, or eight, you're playing uh, Toronto, uh, Cleveland, or Boston. So, if you want to have a you know a decent chance to advance, the fifth seed would be much better than let's say seven or eight. Even though I know that the Cavs are struggling, um, they'll make a move. Maybe they'll get uh, DeAndre Jordan at, at the at the at the uh, trade deadline, and uh, you know with LeBron and so on. Though. They're at least, I would, I would assume, going to be a conference finalist, even if they don't make the finals. So they're going to be a, you know, that both both Boston and, and Cleveland are going to be really tough outs in a seven-game series with their experience. Yep. Well, hey Tom, before we turn you loose for the night, uh, what's your prediction? Yeah, I had to turn in my Sunday column early, so my prediction is uh, I'm sorry to say, I'm Patriots 24, Eagles 23. Um, I, I think the Eagles certainly have... 
I, have, I think the Eagles have a chance to win the game and are, are certainly capable of winning. But in the end, it was the, you know, the, the, the experience, the eight Super Bowls, um, you know, with Belichick and Brady that kind of uh, uh, turned the tide for me. But I, I would not be surprised if the Eagles won. I pick, but, hey, I mean, I picked Atlanta to win the, the first game in a close, in a close game uh, by one, which, by the way, if they would have scored on fourth and two and mixed the extra point, revisionist history Atlanta would have won by one but and I, I did pick the Eagles over the Vikings but certainly closer than 38 to 7 so I hope I'm wrong but you know you have to Me too. pick and you and you have to be you know you have to be honest or you know what you really think and you know based on all, everything that's uh that's what I would say at this juncture and Tom one final question for me equally important well maybe not uh Justin Timberlake does the halftime show this year what is your favorite Super Bowl halftime performance Hmm. Boy, there have been some really, really good ones. You know, well, I'm going to say three, if that's okay, would be uh, Springsteen, yeah. uh, the late, the late great Tom Petty, and Prince. I I was fortunate enough to see all three of them live, and uh, I thought all three of them were really, really good. They're all in my top five, Tom, and uh, the Stones are number one for me. Yeah, so I've seen the Stones live, and the Stones are are outstanding too. I can't believe, you know, you see them live. I saw them live like five years ago, and I was amazed. I mean. You know, they're doing Satisfaction and uh, Jumping yep. Jack Flash and Gimme Shelter, and, and there's so much energy, and, and uh, you know, and Jagger's all over the place for two-plus hours. I don't know how – I mean, they must really love it because, you know, they, you got to do the same 12 or 15 songs every night, and you would never know it. I, I You know, and they're million, multi-millionaires, but they, they certainly seem to enjoy what they do. Yeah, I was there in 2013 and loved it. It was just great, just great. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, All right, guys, Tom. Hey, it. thanks for joining us. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and we hope you're wrong. Go birds. I do too. Uh, I would be glad to be wrong. It, it, it's happened before. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, Tom. Thanks. Enjoy. Sure. Thank you. Hey, if you don't know yet where you're going to watch Sunday's game, here's an idea. The Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, Bucks County. The Irish Rover always has a terrific atmosphere, daily food and drink specials, a spacious dining area, extensive beer list, and menu items from burgers and gourmet wings to barbecued ribs. And this Sunday, there will be a special $4 tailgate menu, two and a quarter domestic drafts, and $4 Victory Homegrown Lager. And, of course, lots of big screen TVs to watch the big game. Right now, you can pre-order wings or food trays from the Irish Rover for your party. Get your order in before 10 a.m. Sunday morning. Call 267-560-4240 or visit their website, irishroverstationhouse.com. The Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey, Chad, you and I are going to talk a lot more about the Eagles-Patriots matchup ourselves, but I'm really interested in hearing what this uh, obnoxious Boston fan Bill Spiros had to say. What what is that about? (laughs) Well, I was looking for someone to talk with to get the Patriots angle, the mindset of fans in New England, etc., and when I saw the Boston Herald had a columnist who uses the moniker obnoxious Boston fan, I knew I had to reach out to that guy. You'll hear him in just a moment, but you know what? As I mentioned when we introduced Tom Moore, if we in Philly won titles as often as they do up in Beantown, we'd probably be pretty obnoxious, too. Some, some say that Philly fans are that way already, even without all those titles. 
<laughs> well, you know, I think I mentioned to you earlier this season when I went to that Texans-Patriots uh, game in Foxborough, first time I'd ever been up there, and those Patriots fans were out of control. I mean, the team plays in the Super Bowl every year, and these fans dog cuss Tom Brady, Josh McDaniels, Belichick, Matt Patricia, the entire game. And Brady pulls it out at the end again, and, and everybody's happy. But these were miserable fans just booing. <laughs> and they, they booed Tom Brady in the third quarter for going three and out. Yeah, Philly fans would never do that, would they, Bill? <laughs> well, I don't know if they'd boo Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, probably not. But anyway, uh, regarding obnoxious Boston fan, the good news is he did accept my invitation. And spoiler alert, he's not all that obnoxious. So here's my chat with Bill Spiros. Very pleased to welcome to Philly Press Box Radio a columnist for the Boston Herald, known to folks up in New England as Obnoxious Boston Fan. We'll get into that in just a bit. He's also known as Bill Sparrows. Bill, welcome. Hey, man, I'm glad to be in so-called enemy territory. <laughs> I'm sure I'm being booed, but, you know, what else would we expect? Talking yeah. to fans of Philadelphia the week of the Super Bowl. You know it. All right, stop the booing, everybody. Bill, the Patriots and Eagles are getting set to do battle this Sunday in Minneapolis in Super Bowl 52. As you can imagine, people down here are pretty excited about that. Meanwhile, the Patriots have already been to seven Super Bowls in the Brady-Belichick era alone, winning five. This is number eight. I think your colleague Steve Buckley recently referred to the Super Bowl as the New England Patriots Invitational. Aren't you guys tired of this Super Bowl stuff yet? Oh, hell no. <laughs> of course not. Why? You know, I, I have this discussion a lot with people. You know, I'm 52, so I remember the Patriots going back to about 1970. So when I was a little kid, they were horrible. The first time they went to the Super Bowl, as you probably know, they lost to the Chicago Bears 46 to 10. Yep. I had the misfortune of watching that game in Chicago. So I've suffered quite a bit as a Patriots fan. Not as much as Eagle fans have suffered, I'll give you that. But for Patriots fans over a certain age, there could never be enough Super Bowls. And fortunately, in this case, I am of that age, so there can never be enough Super Bowls as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Yep. Bill, there's a lot of people around the country who don't like Philadelphia, and there's perhaps even more who are sick of New England when it comes to Super Bowls. But I saw that you wrote a piece recently to the effect that haters make them stronger. The Patriots maybe are just fine with being hated. Well, you know, I think fans and media always like to kind of interject themselves onto the team. I think some of the players enjoy it. I don't think most of the players care one way or another if they're hated outside New England. I mean, I don't know if you heard Brady when he did his mic drop, but he kind of said to the effect, this one's for the fans. You know, they, they've had five Super Bowl wins, and everyone has sort of been for a different reason. So this one, you know, he was he really seemed to be outspoken at least a little bit about how, you know, we're dedicated this one to the fans. And so I don't think the players themselves really care that much. I think it's a little similar dynamic. I, I've always thought there was a similar dynamic to the fan bases in Philadelphia and Boston and New York and maybe Chicago where it's a little, a little jaded. There's usually more criticism directed at your own team than the other team. You know, I'm sure you guys do that all the time. I know they do it in Boston, certainly during baseball season. Yep. So I think the fans enjoy the fact that the world hates them. That's kind of a New England thing. You know, I think it goes back to the fact that the Pilgrims and the Puritans were kicked out of their own countries and had to come to New England. And, you know, they were always kind of grumpy and somber and 
you know, the Quakers seem a lot more upbeat and, and kind of cheerful. I think the Puritans and the Pilgrims were just like grumpy, miserable thoughts, and, and that sort of carried on for like 400 years. <laughs> hey, you know, I didn't realize until last week when looking at the Patriots' history in the Super Bowl that in all seven of their appearances with Belichick and Brady, the games were decided by six points or fewer. The biggest margin, in fact, being last year's incredible comeback victory over the Falcons, and that one took overtime. So should we automatically expect another close one this year? Yeah, unfortunately, my guess is that, you know, there'll probably be like a touchdown, like Nick Foles will throw a touchdown pass with like 12 seconds to go and the Eagles will have a five point lead and there'll be some insanity on the ensuing kickoff. They'll either kick it out of bounds or there'll be like an offside or something to where the Patriots will end up with a shot. And then, you know, with one second on the clock, Brady will throw it in the end zone and Gronk will leap up and catch it and make the play that he almost made against the Giants in Super Bowl 46 that he couldn't make because his leg was basically broken. So, yeah, we'll get some sort of crazy, insane ending. Guskowski kicks a 75-yard field goal. You know, being the spoiled, somewhat obnoxious Patriots fans that we are, you know, everybody's saying, oh, please give us a ball, give us a ball. Well, I'll tell you, I've sat through two Patriot blowout Super Bowls, and neither one of them were fun. They were never really in it against the Packers, and they were demolished by the Bears. That, to me, was the greatest Super Bowl ass-kicking in history, even worse than 55-10, to 10 because it was the Bears' defense that did all the scoring and it did all the damage. It was a lot more terrifying to be on the wrong end of that score than I can imagine losing to Joe Montana and Jerry Rice, who had just thrown up touchdowns all day. Yeah. Okay, I know the Patriots were 13-3. and three. I know they led the AFC in scoring 28.6 points per game. But there's some thought that this year's New England team is inferior to most or all of the previous ones that got to the Super Bowl, especially when you talk about the defensive side of the ball. There's no Willie McGinnis, no Ty Law, no Rodney Harrison, no Teddy Bruschi. Is that a fair analysis or not? I think it is. I mean, the good thing is they're not playing one of those other teams. You know, they're playing the Eagles. Hey. Uh, So, you know, (laughs) well, basically, I mean, all they have to do is figure out a way to stop the Eagles' offense, and, and to me, it'll be interesting to see which offense the Eagles bring with them on Sunday. You know, are they going to use the kind of short game offense that they had to use against Atlanta, or are they going to open it up against the Patriots like they did with Minnesota? Or, you know, which one are they going to use and when are they going to use it? I'm sure that's what Ernie Adams and Belichick are trying to figure out right now so they can give Matt Patricia his marching orders. I, I mean, the Patriots are the Super Bowl, so their defense can't be that bad. They had a pretty awesome run over the season, I think, where they had about a stretch of 12 games where they held their opponents under 30 points, like 11 out of 12 or some ridiculous number like that. So the defense has played well. They've shut down teams when they've had to shut them down. That's sort of been the way since those guys like uh, McGinnis and Bruschi and Vrabel all left. I mean, you saw it last year against the Falcons. I mean, they got murdered in the first 38 minutes of that game. And then the defense shut the Falcons down and, you know, after giving up 28 points, 21 points really because of the pick six. So the defense is always, you know, since even the season when they lost that championship game to the Broncos, they lost that game 20 to 19 because Guskowski missed an extra point. So really going back to the year they beat the Seahawks, the defense has always had this rep of not being good enough, but it's come through at every opportunity. So I think the defense is not the problem. Frankly, I think that the challenge for the Patriots on Sunday is to get Tom Brady 
scoring early and, and not have to wait for him to deliver another one of these heart attack comebacks. They've yet to score a touchdown in the first quarter of a Super Bowl. Brady has never scored a touchdown in the first quarter of a Super Bowl. So that would be nice from a Patriots perspective to see the offense get out early. Yeah, speaking of Mr. Brady, all the analysts say the key for the Eagles is to get a lot of pressure on Tom Brady, force him to back up. Now, the Birds have a pretty good front four with a lot of depth, including the guy you folks know pretty well in Chris Long. How do you think the Patriots' offensive line will match up against Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, and company? Well, (laughs) I think they'll be good enough. I think they'll give Brady two seconds to throw the ball. You know, everybody's been trying to copy what Coughlin did twice, even the Jaguars and Coughlin tried to copy it last week, and and Brady did get a ton of time. And the big problem with trying that route against Brady now in terms of putting pressure on him is that he has Gronk. And, you know, you can blitz Brady all day, but if you leave Gronk unmolested off the line, he's going to get open 100% of the time. And Brady's going to beat you 100% of the time. And, and you can look at some of the games from maybe the latter third of the season when Gronk was healthy and Brady allegedly wasn't playing well. But you saw what happened when the Steelers, for instance, tried it, and Gronk just murdered them in the second half. That's the, the difference this year than, again, even the super, second Super Bowl against the Giants when they had Gronk, but he was playing on a broken leg. The Giants just dialed it up and killed him. I think that's a difference this year where that narrative might not necessarily work, depending on, A, if Gronk's going to play or play the game, the whole game, I think he's certainly going to start. That, to me, is kind of a whole hinge on whether or not that strategy is going to work. Before we finish up here, Bill, i got to ask you, what is the deal with this obnoxious Boston fan moniker? You seem reasonably personable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I try to be. You know, Reagan said uh, he was conservative, affirm in his beliefs, but moderate in his temperament. So Hmm. I try to be obnoxious in what I write and, and what I say, not in a profane way. I think if anyone who reads my columns, read the one I wrote about the announcer in Boston who, who made that remark about Brady's kid, Yeah, I'm always obnoxious in the sense of the stances I take and the views I espouse and, and the reporting that I do. I, I look at it that way. And as far as being a, a wise ass, I've been that way my whole life since I was a kid. <laughs> I hear so you. that certainly doesn't change. You know, it's a moniker and it's a brand and we've had a lot of fun with it. Before they fired me, the Globe had fun with it. Now the Herald has fun with it. Whenever they put me on the radio up there, we have fun with it. But it's genuine. It's certainly me. Now, just in case we have some Eagles fans or other folks who might be interested, Bill, where can we find your columns and your podcasts? Well, I tweet at RealOBF, R-E-A-L-O-B-F, and I post everything I write, everything I say is on the Twitter feed. So if I'm on the radio, whenever we put this up, or if any of the stations in Boston has me on, or whatever I'm on with the Herald, I post links to everything I do. So just follow me on Twitter. Whenever I'm in the Herald, I'll post a link to the column. I try to make it easy for folks yeah. to be kind of a one-stop. Okay, Bill, to wrap up, finish this sentence. To beat the Eagles on Sunday, New England will have to... Score 31 points. Okay, you may be right. We shall see. Hey, this was fun. My thanks to the obnoxious Boston fan himself, the Boston Herald's Bill Sparrows. Enjoy the Super Bowl, Bill, but not too much. Thank you. You guys, too. There will be no parade plans announced before the game. Um, I think the Eagles might want to rethink that strategy this time. I think we've got that down this time. You got it. (laughs) Okay, man. Very good, Chad. Interesting. Uh, But I can tell you what, although Bill is is not – near as obnoxious as one might have thought he is uh, he got a little edge he's got that little confident <laughs> edge about him that uh, 
thinks they're going to win again for sure. Well, why wouldn't he? I mean, you know, the Patriots have the experience. They got Brady and Belichick. Uh, sounded like he wasn't overly impressed with the Eagles. He said they were a good team, but, you know, it's the Eagles. So, I don't know. We shall see. But, yeah, it was good talking to him, and it was good to get a, a New Englander's angle on things. Well, it sure sure was. Good good stuff. And uh, he's going to be disappointed come Tuesday when the parade takes place. Well, yeah, and, you know, he mentioned the parade and the fact that uh, in 2005 some of the plans leaked out before the game was played, and that's happening again this year, even though we didn't want it to. There's talk already that, you know, first the parade would be Tuesday. Now they're saying it's more likely to be Wednesday. There was even some stuff coming out about, you know, exactly what the parade route would be. That's not a good thing because, you know, Belichick used that in 2005, and he's probably going to use it again this year saying, hey, they're talking about the parade already in Philly. Right, right. Well, hey, Chet, uh, the time has come, my friend. Let's give us a crystal ball look into how this game's going to go to play out and finish finish it with a prediction, and uh, I'm going to hear what you got to say, and then I'll give you mine. All right, Bill, I've thought about this quite a bit over the past week, and I continue to feel pretty good about the situation. Just watching Doug Peterson, Nick Foles, and the other key guys in their news conferences the last couple of days, they don't look the least bit rattled. They're all focused. They're confident. Plus, the birds match up extremely well against the Patriots when you look at the key offensive and defensive statistics and the players involved. The three guys, of course, who might tilt things New England's way would be the head coach, the tight end, and the best quarterback of all time. We're talking Belichick, Gronkowski, and Brady, respectively. But what the Eagles do very well is something that the Patriots have struggled with. That's defensive pressure from the front four of the opposing team, particularly interior pressure. So a real key in the Super Bowl, as far as I'm concerned, will be the play of Tim Jernigan and especially Fletcher Cox. And again, I like the matchup of the Eagles D-line against the New England O-line. So are you ready for my prediction or should we discuss further before we give the prediction? No, give yours. I'll give you my uh, crystal ball, and I'll give you my prediction. All right. We're going to talk about some of the crazy prop bets related to the game in a few minutes, but here's one that might be a decent gamble if you – and this all ties in with my prediction. Uh, This might be a decent gamble if you have a few extra bucks in your pocket. The Super Bowl MVP odds are heavily tilted toward the quarterbacks, receivers, and tight ends, of course. But further down the list, at 40-1, to is the aforementioned Fletcher Cox. I think big number 91 is going to rise to the challenge and have a big game. I'm saying one and a half sacks and either a forced fumble or fumble recovery, which could very well put Mr. Cox in the MVP discussion. The Super Bowl MVP has gone to a defensive player just nine times over the first 51 Super Bowls, but I think Cox has a shot if the Eagles win, of course. Anyway, I think the D-line will be key for the Eagles. I think Nick Foles will be good enough not the same numbers he put up against the Vikings, but pretty decent. And I think the Eagles will either win the turnover battle or it'll be even. And that is a key also, as we discussed with Tom Moore. So if all that happens, and I think it will, I'm saying the Super Bowl 52 final score will be Eagles 27, Patriots 17. Tears of joy and a parade to follow. Interesting. Well, hey. Let's start where the game's going to be won, and that's with the defense. As uh, Bill, Boston Bill, just said, the Giants set the blueprint for how to beat the Patriots a few years back. It starts with the defense. The key is the pressure Brady, as we all know, from all directions. It's not going to just be Fletcher Cox. It's going to be that eight-man wave 
coming at him from everywhere. The Eagles defense has the same type talent that the Giants had in those years. Pressure Brady, force him to throw the underneath or rub routes that he likes so much. They're fine as long as three of them don't equal 10 yards. Gronk will get his, but don't let him beat you. Next are special teams. Have to be flawless. Of course, Jake Elliott has to make his kicks, but Donnie Jones could be a key in this game, switching the field when it needs to be switched. That brings us to the offense. Chet, as a fan watching the game last week, it looked like the Eagles were having a blast against the Vikings, and they were. But they were also sending the Patriots a message by throwing bombs to Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith for touchdowns. But getting those plays on tape means the opposition has to spend time preparing for it. The deep ball, along with a successful running game, sets up the RPO, run-pass option, that Nick Foles has executed flawlessly. The biggest matchup of the game to me is Big V against James Harrison. If V can handle him without the Eagles having to send a bunch of help, it, it certainly increases the Birds' chances. The other key is that Doug Peterson and Jim Schwartz can't flinch. Belichick and Brady won't. Get them down, keep the foot on the throttle, put them away. And I'm going out on a limb on this one, Chet, and, uh, because I like the Eagles big, and it's funny that Bill said that the Patriots need 31 to win. Because exactly my score is Eagles 31, Patriots 17. Wow. So we're pretty close. I said 27-17. You said 31-17. You know, I've been listening to a lot of radio, as I said, this week. And Ray Dinger thinks the Eagles are going to do it. I heard Vaisikahema a couple of times say he thinks the Eagles could win this one fairly easily. And that was kind of good to hear. I mean, you know, Vi is a student of the game. He played the game. He's an Eagles fan now, of course, but he watches the games closely. He wouldn't say that if he didn't believe it. So I like hearing that. And, uh, boy, if things and, do and go I feel the way the they should. Way. I, I, I yeah, feel this yeah. is a good matchup. Yep. I and like you it. said a key thing. If Doug keeps his foot on the throttle, that's what Jacksonville didn't do. But Doug showed he's willing to do it. Uh, at the end of the first half in the Vikings game with less than a minute to play, three plays got them in the field goal range. And, you know, everybody thought, oh, he's just going to run out the clock here, a couple of kneel downs. But no, three plays, decent yardage, and they got a field goal to add to the lead. They opened the second half with that uh, flea flicker. So that really opened up the game. And I think Doug's got to keep doing that against the Patriots because – as Mr. Spiro said, the Patriots have started slowly in every Super Bowl. You want to see them start slowly again, but the Eagles, you know, get some points on the board and then keep their foot on the pedal, as you said. You don't want to keep the Patriots hanging around because we know what happens when that's the case. I'll be honest right here. If it's a one-score game either way in the final couple of minutes, I'm going to be a nervous wreck. <laughs> and well, Tom, Tom Brady has proved that you should be a nervous wreck, and that's why you you certainly can't let him hang around. That's for sure. Yep. Well, so hey, to Jeff, review, I said, get off. Go ahead. I said twenty-seven seventeen. You said thirty-one seventeen. I like the fact that we're pretty optimistic, and yeah, I I really just like everything the way this is playing out. I was looking at all the numbers, like I said, Eagles are fourth in defensive uh, total yardage. Uh, Patriots 29th against the run the Eagles as we know finished first in the league the Patriots 20th so the Eagles should be able to run the ball um, offensively Eagles total yards seventh now yeah the Patriots were first passing yardage Patriots were second Eagles 13th but again it comes back to the Eagles defense I think they can hold the Patriots yeah it's Tom Brady but 
Uh, you get that pressure that we were talking about, especially interior pressure. And I heard Mike Missinelli talking about that today. When you get interior pressure uh, from the defensive tackles, Brady's completion rated, uh, ratings and passer uh, percentage passing uh, rating just much, much lower. So Fletcher Cox and Timmy Jernigan are key guys for this one, and I think they're up to the challenge, and that's why I think the Eagles will win this by at least a touchdown, hopefully by 10, like I said. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you this, uh, I, I certainly don't have a problem with your thought on Cox being the MVP. I, I don't see that happening uh, because he's going to get double teamed all day, which might make Jernigan the MVP or the blitz and linebacker or the end that's not getting blocked. You know, something's going to happen uh, because of the, the damage that Fletcher Cox is going to cause. But he may not be the one making all the plays. He's the one taking up all the blockers so the other guys can make the plays. That's fine. Whatever it takes to win. Whatever it takes, exactly. And you don't want to blitz either because everything I hear, you know, Brady is just great when they do blitz. So you want to get pressure but not an all-out blitz because that's when Brady will dump it off to the Gronkowskis or Deion Lewis or whomever. So pressure, but you won't see too many blitzes on Jimmy Schwartz's part, I'm guessing. Well, and you know, Chet, they, they do things uh, pretty unorthodox. And if, if you noticed during the game the other night, and they made a, they made a big deal out of it, uh, but if you weren't paying a lot of attention, you didn't get it, is, you know, they dropped Bo Allen in, plas- in pass coverage. You know, that's the zone blitz concept, where all of a sudden you're sending people from some places that aren't supposed to go, you're dropping people from places that are supposed to go, and you have, you have uh, Bo Allen in the flat Tackling gates, I mean, I, you know, that's the kind of stuff you have to do to, you know, surprise a Case Keenum. I don't know if you can surprise a Tom Brady, but uh, those are the kind of plays that are going to going to make this thing really fun to watch. Oh yeah, I can't wait. We got uh, what four days, a little less than four full days as we speak here on Wednesday night, but I can't wait. Uh, I figured you had the exact hours, the, the minutes that you were going to tell us at some point. Yeah, it's about uh, 95 hours from now, if you want to know. <laughs> I got a countdown clock here. Hey, hey. <laughs> Before we get off the Super Bowls, you, you know, I'm not a betting man. I've never bet on a football game in my life. But uh, how about some of the bets, the prop bets you mentioned a little bit earlier that you could place on the game? And I had just a couple I looked up that I thought were really funny. And there, there are many. So I just grabbed a handful. But how about, will Bill Belichick wear a hoodie? You can bet your hard-earned money on that, Mr. Chesko, if you like. How about yeah, this one? I know. Will Justin Timberlake wear a hat to start the halftime show? There is money being bet on that. Justin Timberlake's first song during half during the halftime performance. Will any player kneel during the national anthem? How about that one? And this one, because I know you'll be paying close attention. How long will Pink take to sing the national anthem? Now, that, that one's always pretty close. And then this one is uh, kind of kind of funny. How many times will Carson Wentz be mentioned during the game broadcast? Yeah, they have, they have over-unders for all these sort of things, those and many other great ones. Total quarterback sacks, both teams combined. The over-under is four and a half. I would stay away from that one. Uh, the over-under for how many times Giselle Bunchen will be shown during the broadcast from kickoff till the final whistle. That over-under, by the way, one and a half. And you know what? I would take the over 
And I'm okay with oh, seeing yeah. Giselle more than twice, so that's fine. And here's yeah. a favorite one. Will, will Donovan McNabb's vomiting incident from Super Bowl 39 be mentioned during the broadcast? With a little uh, asterisk, must refer to McNabb by name and to vomiting or a similar word. That is an actual Vegas bet. I kid you not. And, and that is definitely going to happen. <laughs> yeah, you know it is. Yeah, and then they, they also well, have, you know, all the MVP odds. Tom Brady, 4-5, to five, obviously he would be the favorite. Nick Foles, the quarterbacks are always high up there, 13-4. to four. Gronkowski next at 17-2. to two. Then you have your Jay Ajayi at 18-1, to one. Danny Amendola and Zach Ertz and Deion Lewis all 18-1. to one. And it goes down from there. And as I mentioned, Fletcher Cox, 40-1. to one. So, you know, I wouldn't put your life savings on it, but you got an extra 100 bucks or so uh, around. I would put it on Fletcher Cox just in case. So uh, a lot of great bets that you can make. I didn't make any, but I'm in a couple of block pools, you know, hoping to win maybe 100 or $200. Right. Well, I, I did not get in any block pools this time. I, I guess with being under the weather, it kind of everything's kind of gotten away from me here. So uh, I, I haven't done that. Well, shame on you. That is un-American. You're obligated to be in a block pool for the Super Bowl. Yeah, I hear you. Hey, I wanted to throw something at you uh what do you think of the Super Bowl ticket prices? You know, I've been following this website, Vivid, Vivid Seats, and those tickets went on sale for about $3,400 when I first started looking at it, like last Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday. And at one point they dropped down to about $2,900, $2,800. And now they're back up in the dollars $3,300 for a pair of nosebleed seats. What is with it? Yeah, I looked on both StubHub and SeatGeek last night, and they were closer to 4000 So, and, and again, that's for the cheap seats. I guess people are paying that kind of money. I don't know. Uh, glad to see so many of our friends are going to be out there. They didn't bother to take us, but, you know, Vince Papali will be there. Uh, Mike Barnes got a ticket for his birthday. He's going to be there. We saw Leslie Goodell is going to be out there. Uh, we will be sitting home watching it at, at home, I guess. Yeah, and I think I said three thousand thirty one hundred a ticket, uh, a pair. It is not a pair; it's each. Oh no, it's a ticket. They're selling them yeah, in pairs at thirty one forty each. Yeah, if you can get yeah, a pair for thirty one hundred, that's a deal. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, little, little uh, not quite on the Philly Press Box radio budget at this time, Mister Chesco. Hey, hey I asked Tom. I asked this. Tom this question. Let me ask you, Bill. Uh, we talked about Super Bowl halftime performances. I mentioned my favorite would be the Stones. I also loved Springsteen and Prince. Uh, I forget who else I had in there, but I had a top five written down somewhere. Uh, what would your favorite or you know top two or three favorite Super Bowl halftime performances? I know it's not Beyonce. Who was it? Uh, well, I, I have to say, of course, the Springsteen, of course, because I like everything he does. So he would be up there. Uh, the Stones were great. Michael Jackson was great. Uh, he back was. Back in the day. Um, 1993. was really good, too. Yep. Was it yep. 1993? Was it that long ago already? Um, yeah, it was. He so was the, yeah, he was the first of would... the big stars. Michael Jackson was the first of the big pop or rock stars to do it, and it was uh, 25 years ago, 1993. <laughs> wow. So yeah, I mean, I think those would probably be the the ones right off the top of the list. Uh, no, no, Janet Jackson, uh, you know, Justin Timberlake kind of malfunctions, no. none of that kind of stuff. I hear you. So, but I, but I think it's going to be good. I think Pink is going to be great. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a fun day. 
I like Pink. She is, of course, is a suburban Philly gal, and she'll be rooting for the Eagles. I don't think she's going to have any Eagles attire on while seeing the anthem. That is uh, one of the bets, but I don't think she'll have that on while she sings the national anthem. But in her heart, she'll be rooting for our Eagles. That's right. Wait, Chad, one final thing about the Super Bowl, at least for now. What, what about the Minnesota Vikings fans? New level of crybabies like we've not seen before. Could you see the outrage if this was going on in Philly? Uh, to be honest, yeah, <laughs> I could. Uh, they're taking it to another level, but I think it would probably be the same kind of situation here. Um, I, I don't know how much of it is true or justified. Any opposing fans that come into Philly are going to take some abuse. You know, you hope it's nothing physical, but there are going to be people throwing bottles and stuff. But, yeah, they're they're complaining and crying about it more than most other fans would. And uh, it's unfortunate in both ways. You know, it's unfortunate for them, and it's unfortunate what it uh, makes Philly out to be. Yeah, well, and uh, it, 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 I actually think it's kind of funny as I'm as I've been reading some of this stuff. It's like, you know, somebody took their ball, and now they're crying about it. <laughs> yeah, that too, yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, Chet, uh, you've been on a roll with our guests. So uh, I know next week we're going to be talking about Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles. Who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio to do it? Well, we'll be talking about a great Super Bowl win, we hope, and a record-setting Philly parade, maybe. We'll see. Uh, anyway, it's not 100% positive yet, but I think we're going to have a duo who joined us on the same show together last summer, Philly area radio legend, author, and frequent spotter for Merrill Reese, Bill Werndell, and his co-author and another big-time Philly sports fan, Joe Valley. They are tentative for next week. Bill Werndell and Joe Valley will try to firm that up the next couple of days. Very good. Hey, and I'll tell you what, I, I didn't know this, and, and I'm really happy about it because I've learned since we had them on the last time that Bill Werndell and I have a mutual friend. So that'll be interesting as well. Yes, indeed. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't hear what you said. I was coughing. I don't know what I said either, so nothing important. <laughs> okay. All right, Mr. Chesko, we are up to parting shots. Um, you have one for tonight? I do. Um, because I'm a football fan of a certain age, I can tell you that I've seen each and every Super Bowl, all 51 of them. A few of them were somewhat forgettable, but several, many recent ones, in fact, are pretty memorable because they turned out to be terrific games or maybe because of a halftime show performer's wardrobe malfunction. If the Philadelphia Eagles manage to knock off the New England Patriots this Sunday night in Super Bowl 52, it'll be something that all Birds fans will remember forever. Well, for me, my most memorable Super Bowl experience occurred on January 31st, 1993, Super Bowl 27. Prior to that one, I had almost always either watched the Super Bowl at home or gone to a small party at the home of friends or relatives. But for that one, a couple of friends and I went to a Trenton bar restaurant, not knowing that it would be a night that would change my life forever, thanks in part to those hated Dallas Cowboys to boot. See, the Cowboys played the Buffalo Bills in that championship game, one that would end up being the Bills' third in a series of four straight Super Bowl losses. And it turned out to be their worst performance of the four. The Bills committed nine turnovers in the game on the way to a 52-17 drubbing. By halftime, when Michael Jackson performed, by the way, that's why I knew when that was, it was 28-10, to 
and I had pretty much lost interest in the game. I instead turned my attention to a young lady who worked part-time as a waitress at this bar and restaurant owned at the time by her family. Well, Linda and I seemed to hit it off. We talked on the phone the next evening, had our first date a couple nights after that, and, well, as they say, the rest is history, a history that now includes two awesome college-age kids. Hard to believe it all began exactly 25 years ago this evening during an otherwise not very memorable Super Bowl. Well, that will always be my number one Super Bowl memory, but hopefully the Eagles will give me memory 1A this Sunday night. What a cool story. Very good. I like that. 25 years. Yeah, and congratulations to the lovely Miss Linda. Certainly stronger stronger than you. <laughs> yeah, she's put up with me for all these years. You got it. Yeah, I wonder if it, I wonder if she's celebrating this twenty fifth as much as you are. <laughs> she's trying to forget it, probably. <laughs> uh, all right, Chet, my party shot is going to keep it short and sweet tonight. As I mentioned in my Eagles breakdown, I think the Eagles are going to bring home the Lombardi Trophy Sunday night. It's not because I'm rooting for the Eagles, which of course I am, but it's because they're a better football team. It's been a magnificent turnaround in just two years from Doug Peterson, Howie Roseman, and the rest. Sit back Sunday night, grab your favorite beverage with your favorite person, and enjoy this one. As Mike Schmidt said at the parade in 1980, Philly fans, savor this because you deserve it. Hey, Bill, very quickly, uh, we lost former Philly and Yankees outfielder Oscar Gamble today. He had a rare tumor in his jaw. He was 68. And former LaSalle great Rasul Butler and his wife both died in a car crash in Los Angeles. Rasul Butler, who played at LaSalle and then in the NBA for several years, was just 38 years old. So some sad news. Sorry to report that. Wow. Wow. Hate to hear that. Hadn't heard uh, either one of them. That's tough. Hey, Ted, I I have one other final note. I saw uh, Brian Westbrook was asked to sign a NFL uh, Super Bowl 52 hat for a fan who happened to be wearing a Dallas Cowboys jacket. And Uh-oh. Westbrook signed that and added, Dallas sucks. What you think? <laughs> now that's awesome. you got to love that. Good for well, me. Well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, if I bought that hat and I asked Emmett Smith to sign it, and he did that, I don't think I'd be happy. Yeah, oh, come on, man. If you're a fan of a, a hated rival, you got to expect that. I'm okay with it. I I think it would be kind of cool to have that from Emmett Smith, you know, saying Eagles suck or whatever. So I'm all for that kind of thing. Typical Philly fan right there, Chet. The best has just come out of you, my man. Wrap it up, dude. Wrap it up. All right, let's wrap it up. It's the top of the hour. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, February the 7th at 7 p.m. with Bill Warndell and Joe Valley. Join us to talk Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet at www.blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio. Also, let's thank Tom Moore, Bill Sparrows, Irish Rover Station House, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continued support. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans, and go birds! E-S-E-L-E-S-E!